friend. Uh, this is actually a joint work with two co-authors. And we are doing something that might be a record. We are presenting the same paper at the same time in three different places. <laughs> so if you are in London, now you can go to King's College, where my co-author is presenting the paper. Katia is presenting the economics department here in Oxford. She might come later and present it here. So the bad news is that they're not going to be here. The good news is that you have the best of the three presenters. <laughs> you, so hopefully it will be good. Can we ask them questions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, now, uh, let me... So today, I, first of all, I want to give you the overall context about the NHS and what is happening. Then we... I want to talk about what we know and we don't know, and then we are going to, I'm going to talk about the new evidence, so basically the research that we're actually doing about migration and the NHS. Uh, it is very much a work in progress, so something that we hope to polish more during the next few months, uh, but, uh, but we have some interesting, very interesting results. So let's talk with the NHS. Uh, so this is uh, from Ipsos Mori. Uh, this, is, this was done in mid-April, so this is essentially for the election time, I mean, what voters had in their minds at the time of the election. And what you see is that the NHS was about migration as a worry uh, for, the, for, the, for the voters. Uh, with regards to the previous month, it has increased a lot. It was nine percentage points higher. And then migration was, in fact, nine percentage points lower. So at the time of the election, the NHS was a key issue uh, in the minds of many voters. Uh, surprisingly or not surprisingly, depending on your views, more than, than migration. What you say is that if you look at what is happening over time, uh, the NHS was not really something, it was not that important, right? It was the third thing, so people were worried about the economy, then migration, and then the NHS, but that over time, it became more and more important. The economy became less and less important, obviously because, you know, it was improving, so at the time of the crisis, you know, it was, it was very high, but became less and less important. And these numbers were the latest ones that I showed you in which the NHS basically overtakes migration as the most important issue uh, for the British public. Okay, so why is that? Well, there are several reasons. One is that it has been in the news for a long time that the NHS needs more funding. How much more? Well, according to the King's Fund, about 30 billion more in investment. This is up to 2021. They say if you take the most optimistic scenario where you can have efficiency gains, so, so essentially you can cover a lot of that by increasing efficiency, that will be you know, about $22 billion, so you need an extra $8 billion. So even in the most optimistic scenario, there's a need for $8 billion extra in investment uh, for the NHS. And politicians are aware of this. They're aware of the two things. They're aware of the public being worried about this, and they're aware of the need for additional funding. So the promise by the conservatives was essentially we are going to put down those 8 billion pounds. Labor had something that they called time to care fund, so they were going to put money into that. Uh, liberal Democrats essentially not surprisingly covering, basically doing the same, uh, basically promising the same amount as their then partners in the coalition uh, of 8 billion. You keep 3 billion. And the Greens, obviously, yeah, they were very generous with a $20 billion promise uh, 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 for the NHS per year. So politicians are very aware of this the same way they are aware of migration. So you, we're essentially combining two things that are very high in the political agenda. As I showed you before, 
the two films that are higher in the political agenda for people, the NHS and migration. But they also, I mean, there are other words. It's not just about money. People may think that they're not getting the service that they deserve in terms of the NHS. So there were promises about service in the election. Uh, Cameron was promising seven days a week uh, uh, GP, uh, GPs. So basically you could visit your GP any of the seven days a week. Labor was promise, uh, promising 48 hours uh, to see your GP if you want to, to make an appointment. So it was, uh, it was promised about money, but also about improving the service that people were getting uh, from the NHS. Before I continue, first of all, I want to make a clarification with regards to different issues in the NHS. Many of the headlines that you're going to read in the newspaper with regards to the NHS are going to be headlines like this ones. You know, GPs refuse to treat migrants uh, because it's too generous on foreign nationals. Or, you know, end the entitlement of free NHS for migrants. Uh, migrants will have to pay. These three stories have something in common. They are not about migrants. They are about people who are foreigners, uh, so foreign nationals, in the UK using NHS services. So in the public discussion, this difference is not clear between migrants who are entitled to services, using those services, potentially abusing those services in those, some cases, and people who just happen to be passing by, health tourists, uh, um, using NHS services. Okay. Uh, in what I'm going to show you and the results and the research that I'm going to show you, we are focusing on migrants, so people that are living in the UK and that uh, uh, were born in some other country and that now have access to NHS. Something else about health tourism, and this is something which uh, the Migration Observatory uh, worked before. For instance, I mean, when you define a health tourist, you define someone who you know, just comes to the UK to take advantage of something they're not entitled to, or maybe they are in the list of the GP, but they are not the residents of the country. They are frequent visitors. That may include a lot of British people that would fall under this category. So they live in a country that are not residents anymore, and they come here. Okay? So these things, while interesting, are not going to be uh, focusing on us. We are going to be focusing on residents of this country who were born abroad. I mean, we could do it also with foreign nationals or something like that, but they have to be residents of this country. Now, something that, that is for, for migrants, for real migrants, is the surcharge, which started in April uh, this year. So if you are unlucky enough, you're a student or a worker, and you have to renew your visa, I'm sorry to say that you will have to pay. Now, the surcharge is um, it's 200 pounds uh, for what they call temporary migrants, which is essentially someone in a tier two visa, and 150 pounds for, for students. So the way the government is presenting this is uh, basically saying this is not a visa fee, but it is a visa fee because essentially you pay it uh, up front. The only difference is that the money will go directly uh, to the NHS. Okay? So this is something that has changed uh, recently and that we may see an impact on the, on the NHS. Now, I'm going to talk about what we know and we don't know. And now... Economists and the three authors are economists. We usually start talking about demand, then we talk about supply, we talk about do, when those two things touch, and then we talk about price. Now I'm going to start talking about price in the case of the, the NHS. Can anybody guess why? 
why I'm going to start talking about with about price. It's free, right? So this is something different, right? So imagine how difficult for us as economists that we are analyzing demand, supply, and price to analyze something that is free in the first place, okay? So most services in the NHS, and certainly most services that migrants are going to access are free. Uh, if you have an inflow of migrants, what is going to happen with the price of those services? They're going to be free, okay? So in terms of price, the story is a bit different because we are talking about something that at the, at the point of delivery to the patient is free. Uh, now, what about supply? So, I mean, one of the big things that we know is, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, migrants working in the NHS. And it is true, we get a lot of migrants in the NHS. Here, um, and the definition that we have from the data is a bit strange because it combines the, the fact that you don't have to the right to work in the country with the place in which you got your qualifications. And for instance, uh, about you know, 26% of the doctors are people who do not have the right to work in here in the UK and who gain qualifications outside the EU. Okay? And there's an additional 10% uh, you know, who gain qualifications in some other uh, EA country. Okay? So at all, you have a good chunk, a good size of the migrant or the doctors who are what you might consider migrants. In the case, I mean, you only have 63% who are UK graduates, okay? And it is a number that has remained stable over time, uh, at least for these three years. What has changed is a bit the proportion between EA graduates and the ones from outside the EU. EA becoming a slightly uh, more important in recent times. So there's something to say about the supply. You know, we have about 100,000 uh, doctors who are, who are, who gain qualifications outside the UK. Now you compare that with, you know, 4 million migrants living in the country, and still what is important is just a small share of the overall migrant population. And interestingly, if you look at those gaining qualifications in other countries, essentially, what you will expect with India, Pakistan, Bangladesh being very important, but also some in the, in the case of uh, EEA countries, countries such as Italy and Greece being an important supply of workers uh, for the NHS. Now, we hear a lot about this, and, and Rob Ford is going to give the next seminar, and Scott Blinder was giving the previous one, so you're going to hear a lot about public opinion, but just to give you an idea, you know, people tend to be a lot more welcoming towards uh, doctors than towards other categories of migrants. So this is you know, the opinion of, of young people, which is, I think, 18 to 24-year-old people. And then this is pensioners. And in both cases, a majority are more welcoming to, to doctors. This is different from other categories. Uh, if you look at care workers, for instance, you know, only a minority of pensioners welcome or care workers. If you look at uh, migration to upset aging, only a minority of, in this case, pensioners will welcome them. But in the case of doctors, it's different. So they are coming, and in some sense, they are being welcomed by, by the public. No big surprise there. Our demand. Uh, so what do we know? So from the previous evidence, uh, we know that you know migrants, they tend to use uh, GP services almost at the same rate as the UK born, 
And, you know, in the case of Watsworth, he's looking at the British Household Panel Survey, so he's able to track migrants over time. Uh, uh, so they tend to use the GP services at the same rate. In this other one, they look at people, I think, who register with the NHS uh, after the age of 15, so this will likely be migrants. And the same thing, they, they don't tend to use uh, secondary care more than migrants. But even if migrants use demand NHS services at the same rate, there is a need to provide uh, resources. And obviously there's going to be increase in costs as a result of, of migration. This is the uh, GP registration as a, as, as a share of the population of England. And what you have seen, surprisingly, is since 2004, uh, there has been you know, a large increase. This is inflow. So this is when you register for the first time uh, with the NHS, people who were resident abroad when they registered. Uh, the, for the first time, their previous address, so they're coming from another country, and they registered with the NHS. So there's a large increase, and it's an increase basically <coughs> that you know, somehow stops around uh, 2008 and becomes stable right there, but there was a big jump on people registering with the NHS uh, services during that period. Now, is that a problem to have migrants? Well, it depends. For once, it's a problem if migrants are not uh, contributing enough to offset the cost of NHS services. We know from most of the serious research on the topic that the fiscal impact of migrants is positive, so it means that they are contributing to the system. Uh, so, do they contribute enough? Well, most likely they do, in average and overall. It is also a problem if there's an inefficient allocation of resources. So, if you have no new migrants coming to a certain location, but resources are not given to that location uh, because of the, those migrants, then you're going to have a problem. This is very likely, and it's likely in the, in the, in the short term at least, when you have new migration flows, like in 2004, and they go to new destinations, it might be the case that you're faced with a problem in which you have a problem with the allocation of resources. And then there's also the issue of the supply of NHS services uh, being what we call inelastic in the short term. Being inelastic means it doesn't respond much to changing conditions uh, in, the long term, in, the, in the short term. So you have two things. So you may have more migrants, and let's say the government got it right, and they were able to give more funding to this location, then it means that uh, you have, you know, you can have more money, but it's more difficult to, to react immediately to that increase in migration. Uh, imagine that you have a hospital that is at capacity. You cannot just build a hospital immediately when you get new funding. Imagine that you need new equipment. Uh, you may not know how much equipment you need, so that is going to take time. Also, I mean, imagine that you need more personnel. You need more doctors, more nurses, more midwives. That is hiring those people are going to take, uh, it's going to take a long time. So even if the government gets it right in terms of funding, there is still that difficult part of reacting to migration flows and changing in, changes in the population uh, by providing uh, more uh, hospitals, doctors, and nurses to attend the migrants. So it has two implications. One implication is waiting times. So it means you may have to wait longer to get service in the NHS. And the other one is the quality of the services that you are receiving. So it might be the case that the quality of the services are affected, at least in the short term, while this part is resolved. Okay? So in our research, what we focus on is on waiting times. 
how long do you have to wait for services in the NHS, and how is that affected by migration inflows uh, to your locality? Now, not surprising, and if you hear the news, waiting times are one of the leading factors of dissatisfaction with the NHS. Uh, so you ask people at the NHS, usually they say it's great, but sometimes you have to wait a lot for a given service. And the news have, you know, they, they have picked up on this, and you know, you see, uh, you know, many uh, things about this, particularly with regards to A and E, people waiting more on A and E uh, that they are supposed to. So waiting times and waiting for treatment has become a big uh, uh, issue in the NHS, and it has important consequences. So it's not just waiting. It means for some people, postponing treatments can have an impact on health, uh, depending on the, on the treatment, but you know, the, the potential to recover from something can be different if you have to wait more for service, maybe in A&E or for other services. Uh, you also imagine that there's nothing to your head that does nothing to your head. It increases your anxiety and uncertainty, right? So you know there's something wrong. You know you have to wait, and it makes your life harder just to wait. But overall, when we talk about waiting times in the candidates of an NHS, and this is the comparison with price, we don't have a price here. It is free. So when there's an increase in demand or a reduction in supply, what is affected is the waiting time. So waiting times are like the price system in the NHS. It is what changes when you have changes in demand and changes in supply. So as economists, we cannot look at price, but we can look at waiting times, which is almost the same thing for the case of the NHS. Okay? So that's why we're looking at waiting times. Okay, so now let me talk about the evidence. So we are going to look at the impact on waiting times. We are going to look at uh, four different things. Uh, we are going to look at A and E, and these waiting times are measured in minutes uh, uh, of arrival. Uh, the government has a, there's a four-hour maximum target, so it means that if you go to NIE, ANE, you should wait, you should have to wait less than four hours. Uh, it doesn't happen always. I mean, a lot of people go over four hours, but at least in theory, you should have four-hour targets for everyone. We're going to look at outpatients, which is measured, this is sometimes called referrals too. It's measured in days, so you're referred by your GP to, to the hospital for some service. Uh, we are going to look at elective care, which is going to be measured in days too. So you may be referred uh, for elective care. I don't know, some small surgery, which is not urgent, will be in the, in the elective care uh, category. Okay? And we are going to see if migration has an impact in any of these categories. Now, waiting times. Waiting times have been decreasing over time. Uh, our analysis is going to be from 2003-2012. Uh, they were very high at the beginning. And they have decreased a lot. And in fact, during the campaign, the labor government made a big deal of this, of decreasing waiting times uh, around the country, uh, particularly for outpatients. There has been a significant decrease. A and E, the same thing. Uh, you know, people in average were waiting, you know, like almost 70 minutes, and it has decreased significantly uh, recently. In the case of elective care, there was a reduction all the way to 2008, but there has been an increase in increases then. The thing to keep in mind is that these reductions have occurred at the same time that migration has increased. So we are going to we have two patterns over time. A reduction in waiting times and increase in migration Go ahead, going your way. Okay. Now, local authorities with the largest waiting times. I have bad news for you. So Oxfordshire is there. So if for outpatients, the average waiting time is 55 minutes. And then we divide between London and out of London. 
If you are, you are in Vermont, for instance, and you need something outpatient, uh, I don't recommend you to move there. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to wait a long time for service. Um, London tends to have uh, uh, smaller waiting times. One of the reasons is, I mean, you have a big concentration of hospitals and so on in a, in a small area. But yeah, for, for some people, I mean, you have to wait significant amounts of time over a month in order to get any service in the NHS. And, and this is for the year 2012. If I go back, outpatients right here. So we are looking at what is happening right here, right? So we are looking at the distribution, the top waiting time, once the average has decreased, right, for 2012. If I show you the same table in 2003, you will see that a lot of places were waiting a lot uh, for service. Now, methodology. So I'm not going to talk too much about this because it's quite technical, and, and you can look at the paper if you want some more details. But essentially what we look at is a special correlation between immigration uh, inflows and NHS waiting times. And the big question is, you're going to have more migrants, are you going to be facing higher or low, lower waiting times as a result of, of migration? Okay. Now, this is also a technical point, but the big problem in all these stories is to do what we call identification. So, okay, so we observe that correlation between waiting times and migrant numbers. How do we know that migrants are the ones creating the waiting times, right? How do we know that this, this is impacting the other one? And the way you do that is uh, using what we call an instrumental variable approach. And in this case, you exploit the fact that, you know, migrants, the concentration of migrants depends on previous uh, migration flows. And, and you test if this is a good predictor. And it's something that has been used a lot uh, in this country. So if you want to look at the relationship between migrants and house prices, then you, look the, you use this methodology. If you want to look at the relationship between migration and crime, then you use this methodology. Migration and labor markets you use the same methodology. So it's a way in which you can essentially see that correlation between the two factors and say, well, one is actually causing the other. So it's not something else. It is, it is migration. And it takes care of the fact that, you know, migrants go to certain key destinations. So migrants are journals distributed across the country randomly. They go to places and they may go to places in which you may have better NHS services than in other places. So with this methodology, we can solve the problem of causality. The data, so we're, again, we are going to use data from 2003 to 2012. It's from the hospital episode statistics. Uh, it basically records waiting times uh, in different uh, branches of the NHS service. It is what we call the lower super output area levels, which is a, is a small uh, area level. It is going to be only for England. So all the results that I'm going to be showing you are only valid uh, uh, for, for England. And this is because of data, the nature of the data, and the way we, that we are subtracting the data is only available for England. For outpatients, it's going to be from 2003 to 2012. Elective care, 2003 to 2012. And A&E, Unfortunately, we have less years. Um, particularly, we cannot capture the first years of the inflow of uh, uh, Eastern Europeans. We only have data from 2007 to 2012. So a, a bit of a smaller sample uh, in the case of a and &E. Migrants. So migrants, we are going to use data uh, from the labor force survey. The regular labor force survey, you only have data at the, at the regional level. It doesn't have data for specific locations, but there's a special version that you can ask for and that will have data at the local level, so we use that one. And then we need to construct our instruments. So we take the data from the 1991 census, 
and we see where the different migrant groups are located in the country. And use, using that, you construct an instrument of the new inflows depending on the regional location of migrant communities uh, around the country. And, and so we, use, we combine the LFS data with the 1991 census. We also did the same thing with the 2001 census, and essentially you get uh, the same results. Okay, so this is, uh, I'm not going to put too much attention on this, uh, but essentially our dependent variable, what is going to be important for us is the average waiting time uh, for outpatient services or for uh, uh, A&E or for elective care. And then that is going to depend on the share of migrants in the community and then some control, some variable contrasting for you know what primary cross care trust area you located in, what year are you are you in what year are we looking at, and so on. So we have a lot of control variables uh, in the analysis. For instance, we control for uh, how many GPs you have, how many specialists you have, the share of occupied beds in hospitals, NHS expenditure, population, uh, how many old people you have, you know, women and men how many men in, as a share of the population. We have something that we're going to play a lot, which is uh, an index of multiple uh, deprivations, so how deprived is a certain area. And this is based on the average income, average education of the area, uh, and, and some other factors. We have, if you're talking about a rural community, or we're talking about you know, a urban community. And we also have you know, the characteristics of the community in terms of health, right? So, you know, you have different diabetes and so on, different health characteristics of the community. So when we look at the impact of migration, we are controlling for all these factors of the community. All those things are kept constant over time, and we only have the impact of migration on, on waiting times. So before I show you the results, do you expect migration to have a positive impact of waiting times or a negative impact? I see more people doing like this, okay. So, okay, let me, let me start with outpatients. Um, the, the results are going to be different. Outpatients is where we see a lot of the evidence. And in the case of outpatients, it has a negative impact. So, so migration, we see more migrants, and we see people waiting less time for NHS services. And as we said, well, I mean, we have different explanations. I'm going to go into explanations in a minute. In general, for those of you that are not that quantitative, the, you know, the, the ones with stars are what we are looking for. It means that they are statistically significant. And this thing in the front is essentially designed, where it is a positive impact or a negative impact. And these are variations of the same thing, but the last two columns are the ones that, or maybe the last three columns, are the ones that we believe most. So we are going to focus on this, on this three. Now, what is the meaning of this? This essentially means that if you have a 10 percentage points increase in the share of migrants living in a local authority, then you will have to wait like nine days less on average. Okay. How much is that, nine days? Well, it's about a 19% reduction uh, in waiting times because of migration. In the case of elective care, for the most part, we don't find anything uh, significant, particularly in the last two that we're going to, to trust more. So elective care, we don't see a big impact of having migrants in the community. Migration doesn't have a big impact on elective care, only in old patients. A&E, we don't have an impact, and we were not expecting an impact on A&E. I mean, this is something, a service that you get very quickly. It doesn't matter what happens, right? So it's measured in minutes. Uh, uh, so, so essentially, it's not something that, that you will have uh, a very big impact on. Now, one thing you can consider is, well, different types of migrants are going to have a different impact 
on, on waiting times. And we are exploring more of this. Up to now, we, are, we, are, we have done a, the work for asylum seekers. So the good thing about asylum seekers is that we know where they are. This is because the majority of asylum seekers get assistance from the government. So they are assigned to a specific location in the country. Even if they're not assigned, the, the government, uh, at least in theory, knows where they are. So we know where they are. And they don't choose to go there. So we don't have that problem of migrants choosing to go there. The government assigns them to a specific location. Now, the argument from the government is that they are assigning asylum seekers randomly across the country. Uh, in this case, across England. So there's no particularly match with the characteristics of the location in terms of assigning asylum seekers. However, we plotted our index of multiple deprivation. So if you go all the way to 10, you have more deprived areas. And this is the number of asylum seekers. And what you see is that it's not true that they're randomly assigned across the country. They're assigned to the private areas. Okay? So there's an increased likelihood of, of, of assigning asylum seekers to the private areas. You have more asylum seekers as a share of the population in more the private areas around the country. Okay? And this is assigned by the government. So asylum seekers that have been assigned by the government. So the results that I'm going to show you in a minute, you have to put them in the context of uh, asylum seekers being you know, essentially in the private areas. We control for that in the estimation, and we do our best to take out of that of the estimation, but it may affect uh, the results. So asylum seekers do have a big impact on waiting times. I mean, this essentially says that uh, one percentage point increase in the number of asylum seekers in an area uh, increases this for about, you know, 68 days. I mean, one percentage point increase in asylum seekers is a lot, right? Because uh, asylum seekers are a small portion of the population. But asylum seekers do tend to have a positive impact on waiting times, having more asylum seekers in a, in a given uh, location. The other thing, and the last thing that we do, is that we look at, so why is this happening? Why are we having different patterns of, of responses? Why are migrants affecting this? And we're going to look at morphins, but for now we have a look at the response of natives. So migrants arrive, what are natives doing? Uh, the health levels of migrants, are they healthier or not? And the location selection of, of migrants. So one of the things that we know, and we know this from the previous literature, is essentially you have more migrants and people live, right? But the people living a certain location, the natives are not randomly selected. I mean, you will expect those with higher incomes to be the ones that live, right? The ones that can actually leave the location. But this is less likely to happen in the private area, right? Because you have lower incomes, people depend on social housing and so on, and it's more difficult uh, to leave the area. So one of the things that we do here, so how is immigration, uh, or essentially the population of natives and the population of migrants uh, are related. Uh, so essentially, when you look at the whole population, there's not that much correlation between the population of migrants and the whole population. But when you look at the population of natives, there's a negative effect. So if I look at the population of the previous year, and I look at the migration inflow, that population of natives is going to decrease as a result of migration. So you have people, natives, moving out of areas uh, in which you have uh, migrants. The other thing that you can have is, you know, are migrants healthier? So migrants arrive, you have the same level of population as other area, but you have more migrants, which means you have healthier people. And we have three variables that we can exploit here. Essentially, they ask migrants if you have had any health problem, serious health problem, during the previous 12 months, and migrants are less likely than natives to report health problems. Migrants are less likely than natives to have a current disability, and this is just from the previous week uh, to the survey, migrants are less likely to have been absent from work due to an illness or an injury. 
So in general, I mean, it's not surprising. We know about this. Migrants are healthier than, yeah, than natives. The other thing here, you have two things. Uh, so, so this line is going to be the chair of uh, UK-born people reporting health problems. And this line is the chair of uh, migrants reporting health problems. As I told you, I mean, that migrants are healthier. So this is below this. And we plot this across that deprivation index that we created. So 10 very, very deprived, this not being deprived. So in the less deprived areas, in the, you, know, you could call it the rich areas if you want to, uh, there's still a gap, right? Still the case that migrants are healthier than, than natives, but they are both healthier. And as you increase the index of deprivation, you know, both of these things increase. So in the more deprived areas, it means that the natives are less healthier but are also the migrants. You have less healthy migrants. And then, same with disability. So if you look at disability, and you increase the deprivation of the areas, you increase, uh, migrants are always less likely to have a disability, but both groups are more likely to have a disability in those areas with larger deprivation, okay? So that means that, in some sense, migrants were healthier are also in the less deprived areas, um, and migrants who are not healthier are in the less deprived areas where they can affect the NHS more. And we test that. Here we have two things, few things. This is what I showed you at the beginning. This is the nine days, right? So they increase that by 10%, the number of migrants, you wait nine days more. Uh, we're going to shorten the period that we're going to look at. So we're going to look 2003, 2007 to look at the accession countries. I mean, really after that shock of the accession, still the case. So you include 10% more migrants will increase that for by eight days, your waiting times for outpatients, okay? If you do that, if you look at this one only, if you look at outside London, you don't have those stars there. So it means that the impact is not significant. So if I take London out of the estimation, London is pulling basically, uh, that result is driven to a large degree by London. I take London out, I don't find a significant effect. Now, if once I have taken London out, I only concentrate in the more deprived areas, six to 10, in the more deprived areas, then I get a significant effect, okay? So you have a significant effect once you have uh, more deprived areas. If I concentra concentrate in areas of deprivation 7 to 10, so even more deprived areas, then the effects of migration on waiting times are even longer. So they're positive and they're stronger, uh, even outside London. So the negative effect, uh, to a large degree, driven by London, in the rest of the country, especially when you're talking about deprived areas, you have a positive effect on waiting times uh, for outpatients. So let me summarize uh, the results. So essentially, there's a relationship between migration and outpatients. Uh, these are referrals. This effect, as, as you have seen in the previous one, uh, is significant mostly, I mean, it turns uh, positive for areas outside London, but it's just for a 2004-2007 period. So right after the, the enlargement of the, of the EU, if let me show you this one so you can put it into context up here. So when this is happening, yes, I'm getting that impact outside of London. This is when you get increase in outpatients. When this happens, when things get stable, then you know the funding gets there, things get adjusted, and you don't have the impact anymore. We find no evidence in the case of uh, increases of waiting times in A and E and in elective care. So A and E, we were expecting not to find anything. I mean, this is usually quite quick. In the case of elective care, it was more uncertain, but it seems that there's no, there's no impact in that regard. And the results, I mean, we're still working on the channels, but there are two things. I mean, migrants tend to be healthy. They tend to be young. 
so likely to have a big impact. So, so you get increasing the population with an increasing NHS demand, but then you get less healthy migrants moving into the private areas. So you get a, a sorting of the migrants that is very similar, in fact, to sorting of the of the natives. So, so unhealthy migrants go where unhealthy people are in the country, uh, essentially. Now, th- let me let me tell you what we are doing next. Uh, one of the things we are doing is maternity. It's not the same in maternity. There's a waiting times, right? So the baby's coming. There's no waiting time there, right? So we know that. But still the case. So the number of, you know, the timing of the of the visits before having the baby, the quality of the services from the midwife, the postnatal care that you get, the length of stays, all those things may be affected by the size of the population, might be affected by the by the by the number of migrants. As we know, there's all these stories, you know, about the population of this country increasing because of migration and basically because migrants having babies in the country. So it might be the case that, you know, the increase in migrants is affecting somehow the, the services that, that, that people are, are getting in that, uh, in that country. So you get a lot of new stories about, you know, maternity services being overstretched. So that's one thing we are doing. The other thing is the role of private health services. So until now, I'm somehow assuming that, so you are not waiting because you got the service quickly, right? But it may be the case that you're not waiting because you decided to shift into private health services. So something that we are investigating now, if people actually, uh, you know, as a result of migration, the likelihood of waiting more, they, they just, there's a tendency to shift uh, into private health services. One possibility. And also, until now, so for instance, for A&E, one of the things that we had, I told you this is measured in minutes. So it's very quickly, it's very difficult to increase this A&E because you get this service in minutes. But one of the things that we know, and at least has been in the news a lot, is the number of people that has to wait more than the target four hours. So one potential thing we could do, and we're researching now, is that it may not be the case that it's a story about minutes, how much you have to wait. It's a story where, of, about whether you have to wait more than the four hours or not. So maybe migration just affects uh, how many people miss the target and has to wait more than four hours for NHS uh, services. And that's it.